Amen. If you take your Bibles and uh, if you'd stand as for the reading of God's Word, what a privilege it is to have the Word of God, to have it in our own language, to be able to own our own copy of it. This is something that much of the world does not have that privilege. So if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. And turn to page 315 in your pew Bible. We're turning to Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you are a good shepherd. You are a great shepherd. You are a caring and loving shepherd. You are a ruler over your people. And we are here as people of your pasture, people of your flock. And we are here to hear your voice. For your sheep hear your voice. And they follow you. Our desire, our heart, is to be cleansed of our sins. To realign ourselves with your lordship and leadership. We pray for any who are not of your flock. Any who have not yet heard your voice. And I pray that they would hear your voice in the preaching of your word. And they would follow you. Knowing that salvation is a free gift. You have paid for it all. You have done it all. And now all we have to do is receive from you that which you are revealing to us in this message. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. Kirk, appreciate that very much. This morning, we want to continue in our series through the 23rd Psalm. And in this series, what we're doing is uh, looking at seven of the greatest causes of an overwhelming life, and looking at God's solution to each of those things that cause us uh, to kind of get overwhelmed in the lives that we live. And this morning we're going to look at God's solution to damaged emotions. Notice what David writes again here in Psalm 23, and specifically focusing on verse 3. But I'll start in verse 1 where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And then in verse 3, David says this phrase. He restores my soul. Folks, this is great news. Because we all need to have our soul restored periodically. The reality is life can be tough. Right? Some of you have experienced that. And we get hurt emotionally in this life. We get beat up by discouragement, by depression and despair. We struggle with failure, fatigue, and fears. And if we're really honest, we all have these 
hidden hurts from our past. Even King David here, the one who wrote Psalm 23 and who was deeply loved by God, knew what it was like to be hurt and to be cast down emotionally. David had tasted defeat in his life, and, and he had felt the frustration of failing miserably in the face of temptation. David was well acquainted with discouragement and depression, along with guilt and grief in his life as a king. And so David is writing from experience of damaged emotions. And what he writes here, and what he tells us, how God restores my soul. He restores it. He's giving us some insight here into his own life of how God helped him to overcome his own damaged emotions. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a, quote, cast down soul this morning? Are you cast down emotionally? Perhaps you can identify with David when later on in the Psalms, he writes in Psalm 42, verse 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. David uses a term here that every shepherd would understand when he talks about being cast down. Philip Keller, who was a shepherd for eight years, he writes in his book, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, he writes this, a cast or cast down sheep is an old English term for a sheep that has turned over on its back and cannot get up by itself. A cast sheep is very pathetic sight, lying on its back, feet in the air, struggling in vain to get up, as you see by the picture. Sometimes it will bleat a little for help, but generally it lies there kicking in fear. If the shepherd doesn't rescue it within a reasonably short time, the sheep will die. The shepherd watches for this serious condition. Wild animals know a, quote, cast sheep, as it's referred to, is easy prey. When the shepherd sees a cast sheep, he tenderly lifts it up to a standing position. As it regains its strength, it starts to walk again and rejoins the flock. This is what David had in mind about our Lord Shepherd when he writes, he restores my soul. Just as a shepherd restores a cast-down sheep, the Lord Shepherd restores a cast-down soul. In fact, that phrase, He restores my soul, it means to He renews my life, or He causes my life to return within me. The idea is that when we're cast down, our Lord Shepherd, He puts us back on our feet again. Isn't that what you need when you're cast down emotionally? You need someone to come along to lift you up and put you back on your feet again. And that's exactly what our Lord does for us as our shepherd. He restores our souls. Now, let me make a distinction here. We can restore, that is us, we can restore many things in life. We can restore cars. How many of you like watching Gas Monkey Garage? My, my boys and I, we, we watch that show quite frequently. Uh, or Counts Customs, that's another car show, where they, they take these old cars that, you, that are undrivable and they restore them. And when they come out of the garage, I'm going to tell you, they look beautiful. 
They're awesome. We can restore old cars, even new cars. We can restore houses. You know, if you watch HGTV or any other of those types of shows, flip, flip, flip these houses uh, or flip this house, and there's kind of all these knockoff shows where they go in to these houses and they, that have, then they flip them. They remodel them, and then they put them back on the market, and they're, they're nice. And so we can restore a lot of things in life, such as cars and houses, but only God can restore a soul. Now, what causes damaged emotions within our souls? Well, there's three things. Notice this coming up on the screen. If you want to fill in your notes, you're welcome to. Three things that will keep you cast down emotionally are guilt, grief, and grudges. Guilt, grief, and grudges. But the good news is God wants to take away your emotional garbage and restore your cast-down soul. So let's break this down a little bit for the next few minutes and look at God's solution to damaged emotions. Number one, let God remove your guilt with His forgiveness. Let God remove your guilt with His forgiveness. Nothing destroys a soul faster than guilt. David understood how hard it is to carry the burden of guilt. And perhaps there's some of you here this morning, you are carrying that burden yourself. You feel the weight of guilt on your shoulders, in your heart. Notice what David writes in Psalm 38, verses 4 and 6. He says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. When it comes to guilt, we all have plenty of reasons to feel guilty because we are guilty. We're all imperfect. We all make mistakes and we all have sin. We can't get away from our guilt because it's in our minds. And so even if we go to a new location to try to get a fresh start, we still carry our guilt with us wherever we go if we haven't dealt with it God's way. So how do you get rid of guilt? Here's the thing. You look at within our world. You talk to your neighbors, your coworkers, some of your family, even your friends, and people try many different options of dealing with guilt which fell miserably. These options don't work. What are some of the world's way, world's options of dealing with guilt? Notice this in your notes. First of all, you can try to deny it. You can deny the guilt or pretend it doesn't exist. You can even try to bury your guilt, but that doesn't work either because if it's still alive, it will resurrect itself. Denying guilt does not remove guilt. Number two, you can, another option is you can try to minimize it. You can say to yourself, oh, it was no big deal. It's not that big of a sin. Then why do you still remember it? Why can't you forget it? Minimizing guilt does not work either. It's always in the back of our minds. Number three, a third option is you can try to compromise it. By just lowering your standards. If you feel guilty about something, you just say, oh, I don't even believe it's wrong anymore. And this is where our world is coming to. The bar just keeps getting lowered and lowered and lowered. A fortune cookie says, said this, commit a sin twice and it won't even seem like a sin anymore. 
And that's true. If you keep doing the same sin over and over, your conscience will eventually become seared to it. But that still doesn't remove the guilt that weighs us down and overwhelms us. Number four, you can rationalize it. You can say to yourself, oh man, everybody does it. What's wrong with it? Which is not true because everybody doesn't do it. And even if they did, justifying our sin by somebody else's behavior still doesn't remove the guilt. Whenever I rationalize my sin, I'm simply trying to convince in my own heart about something I know is wrong, but it never works. So sometimes in our rationalization, we will blame other people instead of taking responsibility. But most of the time, we just beat ourselves up over our guilt because inside, in the re deep recesses of our heart, we know that somebody has got to pay for the wrong that we have done. And it's at this point that our souls become cast down. Now, none of these options work in removing our guilt. And that's because there's only one option that works. Notice the one solution that works. That is, give your guilt to God and let Him remove it with His forgiveness. God is the only one who can remove your guilt. Because God is the only one who can forgive your sins. Notice what God says in Romans 3, 23 and 24. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The most basic truth of Christianity is Jesus Christ has already paid for all of our sins. That is, every sin you have already committed and every sin you are going to commit later has already been paid for with Jesus' death on the cross. Therefore, all we need to do, we just need to ask God to forgive us and accept what Jesus did on the cross where He already paid for all of your sins. That's how your guilt will be removed, and it's the only solution that works. No psychologist can remove your guilt. They don't have the power to forgive you. But God, the creator of this universe in which we live in, does have the power to forgive you. Now, I don't know what you've done, but it doesn't matter because your forgiveness is, based, is not based on how bad you've been, but on how good God is. What matters is not what you've done, but what Jesus has already done for you. A good question to kind of stop here and ask ourselves is this. How do I get God's forgiveness for my sin? How do I receive His forgiveness? And the answer is trust. You believe and trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross and by faith accept God's forgiveness for your sins. You don't bribe God. You don't bargain with God. You ask God to forgive you of your sins and let Him remove your guilt but you say, but I've asked God to forgive me of my sins and I still feel guilty. That means you really don't fully understand how God forgives. How God's forgiveness is immediate. It's free. It's complete. It's unconditional. And how it wipes out the guilt the first time that you ask for forgiveness. And if you still feel guilty about sin, you've already confessed to God that guilt is not from God, 
It's from the devil himself. Satan wants you to feel bad. He wants you to continue to be cast down by guilt. Isn't it ironic that before you commit a sin, Satan minimizes it by saying to us, oh, it's no big deal. And then after you commit that sin, he then magnifies it by saying, oh, this sin is so big, God can never forgive you. So how does God forgive? Well, listen to what God says in Colossians 2, verses 13 through 14. These are the words of the Apostle Paul when he writes, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. In other words, here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. God has forgiven all of our sins based on the work that Jesus did on the cross. And he has wiped out the evidence that's against us, and he nailed it to the cross. Some of you ask God to forgive you, and then you keep bringing it back to God. Let me ask, when you pay your electric bill, do you still worry about it? Once you pay it online, or maybe you still write a check and pay for it, and you send it off in the mail, after you put it in the mailbox, or after you, you know, pay it online, do you think about it? Do you worry about it? No. In fact, it's interesting. I mean, you may worry about how much your electric bill is. One guy in our church, he, he emailed me this week a copy of his electric bill. Over $500. He was having a heart attack. I, thought it, I received this in the email. I, at first, I thought it was mine. I almost had a heart attack. And then the next day, he sent me back another email and said, I better start, you know, stop complaining because his, a friend of his had copied him on his electric bill, and it was over $900. I can't even fathom that. But when you pay your electric bill, you don't worry about it. Why? Because it's paid for. There's no need to worry about it. And in the same way, when Jesus died on the cross, He paid the price for your sins in full. So if God forgives you based on what Jesus did on the cross, then why should we keep bringing it back up to Him? Why keep beating yourself up over something God has already forgiven you for? Why punish yourself with guilt when Jesus already took the punishment for your sin? In fact, later on in the Psalms, you read that what God does with our sins, in fact, in His memory, He, he cast it in the deepest part of the sea as far as from the east as from the west to remember it no more. Jesus was already nailed to the cross for your sin so you can stop nailing yourself to the cross in guilt. That is the beauty of what our God does for us as our shepherd. Let God remove your guilt by accepting in faith His forgiveness for your sins. Number two, let God relieve your grief with His grace. Sometimes we grieve because of our own stupid actions. How many know what I'm talking about there? This whole section ought to be raising their hands right now. All right? 
Reason I say that, because man, if I have told my boys once, I have told my boys a hundred different times, Tyler, Jack, listen to me, life will be miserable for you when you don't listen to wise counsel and when you don't learn from your mistakes and you keep making the same mistakes over and over or keep making the same poor choices in life over and over. Life is miserable. Because of that. And so sometimes we grieve because of our own stupid actions. We do stupid things and we make serious mistakes and we get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. And then we experience the pain and grief of our choices. But sometimes we experience grief because of things that are done to us. The fact is you will be hurt in life. This is not heaven. This is earth. And it's imperfect down here. So some days you're going to be lonely. Some days your heart will be broken. Some days you're going to feel discouraged. And some days you're going to experience loss and sorrow and grief. And then sometimes we grieve because of a loss or because we see people we love who are hurting. And we grieve for them. The question is, how do you handle your grief? What do you do when your heart is breaking and the grief overwhelms you? Do you throw a pity party? Do you play the if-only game? Or is the answer to withdraw into a shell, hide in a cave, isolate yourself from humanity and say, I'll never let another person hurt me? Or do you just pull back and resign from life and be miserable the rest of your life? There's another option. You can let the Lord Shepherd restore your soul with His grace. David was a man who was well acquainted with grief. He understood what it was like to be cast down because of grief. Notice what he writes here in Psalm 31, verse 9. David cries out to the Lord, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. In 2 Samuel 12, in fact, I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to this passage of Scripture with me for just a few minutes here. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, and in this passage, David gives us some added insight on how to handle grief. Let me give you the context of this chapter here. 2 Samuel chapter 12, David had brought much of his grief upon himself as a result of his uh, adultery with Bathsheba and then having her husband killed. David carried that guilt with him for almost a year until he confessed it to God and experienced God's forgiveness for his sins. In fact, you can read about uh, David's confession of sin and God's restoration in, of his soul in Psalm chapter 51. But David suffered as a result of this sin. He suffered from tremendous grief. If you remember the story, Bathsheba became pregnant as a result of his affair. And as part of David's consequence for his sin, which, by the way, let me just add to this, and especially to our younger generation, there are always consequences to sin. 
Always. And what David is such a great person to read in his life from beginning to end in understanding and seeing how God works and restores and yet how God even brings us through the consequences, but God doesn't eliminate the consequences. And so as part of David's consequence for his sin, God said that the baby that Bathsheba was carrying as a result of the affair, that that baby would die. And David grieved over this news that came through the prophet Nathan. In fact, David, he actually got on his knees and he prayed and he fasted and begged God to let this baby live. But you know what happened? The baby died anyway. As part of the consequence of his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. So how did David handle this grief? The loss of a baby. According to 2 Samuel chapter 12, David did three things. And these three things are the same things you and I need to do if God is going to restore your soul. Like David, when you're grieving, number one, look at this in your notes, reaffirm your trust in God's goodness and grace through worship. Why? Because during times of grief, it is so easy to doubt and to question God's goodness and grace in your life. When we're grieving, that's one of the first things we begin to question is the goodness and grace of God. And in particular, in our lives in a personal way. Our faith becomes weak, and it's easy to think that God doesn't care about me. He doesn't love me, and He has withheld His goodness from me. And instead, we need to strengthen our faith by reaffirming our trust in God, get this, through the process of personal and corporate worship. You say, where do you see that, Bruce? Notice, look at what it says. This is what David did. Notice what it says here in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, specifically in verse 20. It says, so David arose from the ground. That's where he was mourning, literally laid out, sprawled out on the ground in mourning and grief. And he washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He worshipped the Lord. He's reaffirming his faith and his trust in God's goodness and grace. This is why the worst thing that you can do when you're grieving is to abandon the worship of God, whether that's in your personal life, but also in corporate life with a church body, a community of believers. And yet, when we're grieving, everything within us wants to isolate and abandon that process. And that is the very thing that God uses to restore our souls, is worship when we're grieving. And so we fight this tension because our nature, our sin nature, our flesh nature wants to abandon and isolate, and yet God's process that he uses to restore us says it's corporate worship and personal worship. That is the process for restoration of the soul when you're grieving. Second, notice what else David did. Like David, accept what can't be changed. Accept what can't be changed. In the midst of his grief, David finally accepted the reality 
that he can't change the consequences of his sins. Let me just stop here and just, if I can just put a plug into you parents. Um, man, I've been parenting now for 18 years. 18 and a half now. And one of the things that's hard for parents, and, and I, I've been there, done that, and I'm still in the process of that, is when our children, and now I have two teenage boys, when they make wrong choices, disobey, whether that's Darla and I, or disobey God directly, and there are consequences as a result of those choices, as a result of sin, the first thing a lot of times we parents want to do is we want to alleviate or eliminate the consequences that our children incur. Especially when it comes to schools, school and, you know, whatever the case may be. And, and, and believe me, there is a strong struggle with that. Because your heart goes out. You don't want to see your children suffer. And yet, consequences serve a purpose. And if we're always removing the consequences from our children, then they never learn that wrong decisions have consequences. Because God uses consequences to correct and reprove and get us back on the right path and the right ways of following the Lord. And so parents, if I can just say, from my own personal experience anyway, let your children experience the consequences of wrong decision making. That doesn't mean that you don't intervene in their lives and speak into their lives about the circumstances that take place. Correct them as to here what's wrong, here's right, here's what the Word of God says, here's what the rules of our house is. But here are the consequences and you're going to experience them. Now here's the good news. When you experience the consequences of life, this is true for both our children, teens, and us as adults. God doesn't abandon us in the midst of consequences. As believers in Christ, God is there with us, and we have the, the power of the Holy Spirit to help us navigate through the consequences and to rise above them and to learn from them. That's the good news as followers of Jesus Christ. Also, when we forget, confess those sins, those wrongdoings, and we bring it to the Lord in confession and repentance, and we ask God's forgiveness, what does He do? He forgives us. That goes back to the first point here. And so we experience the consequences without guilt because our guilt has already been removed through forgiveness. And yet, we still have the consequences. That is the life of David. Summed up. All from adultery and murder. His life, from that point on, was a lot of consequences till the day he died. And yet, he is known as a man after God's own heart. That is the beauty of our God. So, number three. Focus on what's left, not what's lost. Focus on what's left, not what's lost. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24 tells us, Then David comforted Bathsheba his wife and went into her and lay with her. And she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. Now, this is David's second son here with Bathsheba. 
David may have lost his first baby, but he still had his wife Bathsheba. And then God blessed him with a son who would later become the next king of Israel. And perhaps some of you are going through some grief right now. Listen, God is not finished with your life. He's not through with you. This is not the end. Yes, it hurts, but it it does not have to devastate you if you'll open up your life to Christ and let Him heal your soul. If you're still alive here this morning, as far as I can tell, everyone's still alive here. I don't think I've killed anybody with my preaching yet. Then God is not through with you. And the rest of your life can be the best of your life. Listen to what God wants to do for you in Isaiah 61.3. God says, To all who mourn in Israel... He will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. For the Lord has planted them like strong and graceful oaks for His own glory. So, cry out to God and ask Him to remove your guilt with His forgiveness and to relieve your grief with His grace, and then watch the Lord restore your soul. Which brings us now to our third and final point here. Let God replace your grudges with His justice. Ever wonder where grudges come from? A grudge. Where does that come from? Grudges. Grudges come when other people hurt us and then not dealing with that hurt in a biblical way. God's way. Again, you're going to be hurt in life. That's a fact of life. We all know life is not fair. And people will hurt you, sometimes unintentionally, and yes, sometimes even intentionally. Either way, it still hurts. And how you handle the grudges of life will determine whether you become a bitter person or a better person. You've probably heard it said many times that the difference between bitter and better is simply one letter. It's the letter I. It's true, I can choose whether circumstances and people will devastate me or direct me to God's perspective, whether it will make me bitter or better. So what do I do with all the hurts and the grudges that have piled up? Well, the worst thing you can do is keep piling up those grudges. Why? Because resentment never hurts the other person. It only hurts you. The other person you're bitter against. Let me tell you, they have gone on with their life while you're still stuck in the past focusing and nursing that grudge. Some of you may be continuing to allow people from your past to even hurt you now. And if I can politely say and frankly say, that's just plain stupid. Your past is past. They can't hurt you anymore unless you keep rehearsing it in your mind. So every time you rehearse that resentment, you allow that person to basically hurt you over and over and over again. They may even be dead and buried in the grave, and yet they're still hurting you from the grave. Because you keep rehearsing it, and you haven't dealt with that grudge. Listen, you don't hurt them by holding on to a grudge. Resentment only hurts one person, and that's you. William Walton once said, to carry a grudge is like being stung to death by one bee. And that's what a grudge will do. 
it keeps stinging you over and over and over with the same hurt. So what should you do with your grudges? Well, God gives us two steps here. Number one, first of all, don't avenge yourself. Leave vengeance to God. Notice what it says in Romans 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Because of sin in this world, life seems very unfair, does it not? And right now, it is. Life is unfair. Because God's will is not always being done here on earth as it is in heaven. So sometimes, many times, innocent people suffer. Sometimes, many times, evil people prosper. And justice is not always served. But understand, God has said one day He is going to come and He will settle the score. And that's what we bank on, that promise. One day He's going to call into account and right all the wrongs and settle all the issues that were left unsettled here on earth. Listen, folks, His justice will prevail once and for all. And in the meantime, God says, don't avenge yourselves. It will eat you up from the inside out. So what then do you do instead? Number two, do forgive those who have hurt you just as God has forgiven you. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. He says, get rid of all bitterness. And then he says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. There's only one way to get rid of bitterness. Forgiveness. To forgive just as God forgave you. If you have been forgiven by God, then God expects you to be forgiving towards those who hurt you. Think about it this way. Do you realize that you will never have to forgive anyone more than God has already forgiven you. You will never, God will never ask you to forgive anyone for anything more than what God has already forgiven you. If being healed from your hurt and forgiving those who've hurt you, if that seems impossible to you right now, well, that's because it is until you accept God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It's only when you experience, when you've experienced the power of God's forgiveness in your own life that you can now offer that same forgiveness to other people. Not only that, but think about the freedom from our guilt that comes when we experience forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Jesus can remove that guilt. He can wipe the slate clean. He specializes in new beginnings. It's called being born again. It's about receiving new life in Jesus Christ. And that's why we need a Savior. Because only Jesus can forgive you of your sins and remove your guilt. How about your grief? Listen, let God lift you up with His grace. 
and relieve your grief as your shepherd. When it comes to soul restoration, look at this in your notes. Look at this. You can restore many things, as we said at the beginning, but only God can restore your soul, and that's why you need a relationship with the Lord as your Savior and Shepherd. Let me close with this story. It's a sheep story. It's not my own. But when a shepherd restores a cast-down sheep, it doesn't just happen automatically. It doesn't just happen even immediately. It takes time to restore a cast-down sheep. And I love how Philip Keller describes his own experience of restoring cast-down sheep. If, if you remember the picture that was up on the screen in the very beginning of that sheep cast down and his four-legged feet are, are up in the air. Here, in the words of Philip Keller, Keller, he says, As soon as I reached the cast sheep, my first impulse was to pick it up. Tenderly, I would roll the sheep over on its side. This would relieve the pressure of gases in the stomach. If she had been down for long, I would have to lift her onto her feet. And then straddling the sheep with my legs, I would hold her erect, rubbing her limbs to restore the circulation in her legs. This often took quite a little time. When the sheep started to walk again, she often just stumbled, staggered, and collapsed in a heap once more. All the time I worked on the cast sheep, I would talk to it gently. When are you going to learn to stand on your own feet? I'm so glad I found you in time, you rascal. Little by little, the sheep would regain its equilibrium. It would start to walk steadily and surely. By and by, it would dash away to rejoin the other, set free from its fears and frustrations, given another chance to live a little longer. What a picture of what God wants to do for you. When you're on your back and you're cast down from guilt, grief, and grudges, and you think you're going to die in that position, remember, the Lord wants to be your shepherd. Remember, the Lord wants to lovingly pick you up, and He wants to put you back up on your feet again. The Lord wants to restore your soul, and that's why you need a relationship with the Lord as your Savior and shepherd. With your heads bowed, and as we come to our response time, let me ask you the most important question, and that is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with the Lord as your shepherd? Have you confessed your sin to Him and asked Him to forgive you and to be your Savior? If not, why not right now? Why not ask God to forgive you and invite Jesus to be your Savior and shepherd? You can pray to God right here where you're sitting. He knows your heart, and He can hear you, and He will answer you. Let God restore your soul as your Savior and Shepherd. Lord, we come to you this morning, and we thank you for the words of David here in Psalm 23. We thank you for this little sentence, He restores my soul. How powerful that is. Lord, I pray that through your word, that you would reach down and touch each one of us. You would cause us to examine our own hearts, to deal with our guilt, our grief, and our grudges in the way that you have outlined us for, outlined for us in your word. Lord, help us to confess our sins and to receive your forgiveness. 
Lord, help us to put our grief at your feet and let you relieve us through your grace. Lord, when it comes to our grudges, help us to experience your own forgiveness, knowing that it's through that process that we then extend forgiveness, and that is the solution to dealing with grudges. And so, Lord, help us now. Speak to us as we come to you in response during our this time as the praise team sings. In your name, amen.